You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By now you know that uh, I consider the Word of God to be true. And one of the proofs of its truth is it doesn't lie about its own heroes. I like that. Tells the awesome truth, doesn't it? It almost makes you glad you weren't a Bible hero. (laughs) To have all that you have been raked right out in public for everyone to see, not just today, but for centuries. This incredible story of who you are. Now, the thing that makes this even more interesting is that throughout history, God seems to have chosen what we might call the anti-hero type. Even, well, having chosen the Jews as his people, he took a people who were not a people, made them his people. Each of the great heroes, David, an unlikely individual, you see, simply because... He was kind of the reject of the family. When Samuel was looking through the whole troop, Jesse was marching them out. You know, he was marching out the ones he was proud of. Something was wrong with David. He didn't want anybody to see him. You know, everyone has relatives like that. (laughs) And yet it was upon him that the anointing oil was poured. God continues to do things of that nature. He did it throughout the Old Testament. Unlikely individuals, individuals who were mere farmers, and suddenly they show up and they're prophesying to a nation. Incredible. You come to the New Testament, and Jesus does it the same way, of course. He was doing it in the Old Testament. But you come to the New Testament, and he chooses people to walk closely with him. Disciples, apostles. I've talked to you at some length, I think, about the apostles and who Jesus chose. And I think last time I was with you, I mentioned that I I get on these guys' case so much (laughs) that when I get to heaven, I think they're going to be standing in a row waiting. (laughs) But one thing that I notice is that we have a tendency to identify with people in Scripture, don't we? If you read the Scripture and you really want to understand it, put yourself in it. It was written about you, you know, because indeed these people are you, too. And if you really want to understand it, put yourself in it and think, what would I do if I were this person? And I'm looking at the situation that I'm looking at. I'm seeing what they're seeing. I'm experiencing what they're experiencing. And you read the Scripture and you put yourself in it. And the Scripture comes alive. It's a joyous way to study Scripture. I don't think your Scripture study is complete until you're in it. And you say, that's me right there. But you come to the New Testament and you look at the apostles and I think probably every one of us to some degree have identified with somebody who encountered Jesus. Maybe you identified with an individual with a chance encounter. Maybe you're the person who for years of your life were rejected by family untouched because you had an 
something that would make you untouchable, maybe an issue of blood, as they would call it, or whatever. And your only hope is Jesus. And if you can just somehow get through the crowd to him and touch the hem of his garment, maybe you identify with that person. If you do, healing has come, hasn't it? Maybe you identify with others whose life seems to have ended and by some incredible touch of the hand of God, life is rescued. Here you are. You look at where you were and you think, I don't believe this. Look at what he's done in my life. Every one of you have some kind of story like that. I have learned that every person in the kingdom of God is a book man. Often when I am journeying and I, I fly into an airport and someone's going to pick me up and maybe they don't know me. They were chosen. You go pick up the speaker. And so they drive an hour or so to the airport and all they know is he's short, fat, and bald and wears suspenders. <laughs> and they always find me. Uh, And I get in the car and I say to the driver, who is a little bit nervous, having picked up the a speaker. And I'll say to him, I say, well, we're going to be neighbors for a while. Let's be friends. Tell me your story. And they always say, this is 100%. I don't have a story. I was just born, grew up, and here I am. Well, I know better than that by now. So I'll say, well, maybe not, but, but try, will you? Well, where do you want me to start? Anywhere you want to. I just want to know how God got you where you are now. And they'll start telling me their story. And after about 30 minutes, I'm going, wow, this is incredible. You are a book. You are a trophy of the incredible grace of God. And I found out that that's true. You're sitting here tonight because God has been at work in your life. You're a story. You are a book. You are a letter from God. Incredible. And the apostles were that way too. Now, sometimes it's best to write on slates that are clean. <laughs> and you look at the apostles and you think, nothing written there. In fact, you almost think that Jesus had to use a chisel to write on their lives. And one of the persons that I have found that more people identify with than anyone else, who do you think? Peter. Peter. <laughs> As one voice, you said. Peter. Now, there's a reason. I think God chose him because he knew how many of us would need encouragement. Let's take a look at his life and look, you can call this Peter before and after, in a sense. And the befores and afters might surprise you just a bit as to how far God will go with us. How can we do this? I want to run through a list of things and let's sort of have a... What can you call it? A, a negative and a positive here. Maybe this wasn't so hot. Maybe this was good. And, and if you want to keep track of this, you might want to draw a line and put uh, on the left side a place where you can mark a mark for a negative, on the right side a place where you can put a mark for positive.
And let's just run down these and see how well Peter does. We'll start right off and, and notice in Matthew chapter 8 that he had Jesus pray for his mother-in-law. Positive. <laughs> Bing. <laughs> we'll give him a plus for that one right there. You look in Matthew 14 and you discover this man is, is impetuous enough to ask Jesus to let him walk on water. Bing! Another positive, all right? But he gets out on the water and his flesh shows through and he sinks. Zant! <laughs> so we have two bings and one zant in his life. Well, Jesus is explaining to these guys in Matthew 15, and he's trying hard to explain to them. It's not what goes in your mouth that makes the difference. It's what comes out of your heart that makes the difference. And Peter says, would you mind explaining that to us? And Jesus says, you mean you don't understand yet? That. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked them an incredible question, the one every one of us must answer at some point, when he says, who do you think I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Bing! <laughs> That's a positive, definitely. And Jesus goes on and says, and we've talked about this together, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. The Father in heaven has revealed that to you. That's another plus. He gets revelations from God then. <laughs> You're ahead of me. Then he decides on the strength of his being one who gets revelations to take Jesus to task because he begins to teach about the difficult things that he had to go through. So when he rebukes Jesus, we'll have to say, and eh. <laughs> yes, another negative. Immediately, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the things of God, just the things of men. And he's not doing too well yet, is he? He's, he's about even here. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is with them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Phenomenal moment. They see things that we've never had a chance to see except in our hearts. And when it's all over and, and the, the uh, friends are gone and it is only Jesus, Peter didn't know what to say. So, he said. <laughs> I love this. I think I identify with him. I'm never at a loss for words. I may be at a loss for thoughts. <laughs> but never at a loss for words. And so Peter, not knowing what to say, says, Why don't we just build three tabernacles here? One for each of them. <sighs> he missed the whole point, didn't he? Then... Well, we're not through. In Matthew chapter eight and 18, Peter comes with an offer. He comes first with a question and then an offer. He says, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? That's a good question. It really is. But then he makes what I think is a generous offer. Because I think this man was expecting Jesus to say, Oh, you'll forgive seven times? Would you really, Peter? Wonderful. 
I don't know why I think that's what he was expecting Jesus to say. I just have a feeling. Because you see, I know how many times I'm normally good for. Maybe three. But after that, oh, I know you. So this offer, I think, on his part, which he thought was rather generous, I'm going to have to go, eh. <laughs> And then Jesus shows him how far off base he was when he says, No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Wow. Matthew 19. We begin to see the arrogant, braggadocious Peter. He informs Jesus that we have forsaken all to folly. Had he? No. Eh. Later on we discover he goes back to his old pursuits. Then he says in Matthew chapter 26, he says, I will never. You know, never is a dangerous word, isn't it? Just like always is a dangerous word. Never is also. I will never be offended in you. Well, was he? Yep. <laughs> right. Well, we're not through. He goes on in Matthew chapter 26, just in case Jesus didn't understand the first two. I will never. Here we go again. I will never deny thee. Well, did he? So, eh. How is he doing so far? Are any of you keeping track of this? It's mostly... Eh, and, you know, up to this point, if you were an employer, would, would you keep him on the rolls, you see? But we're not through. Next thing we find... Well, Peter is asleep. Uh, I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come back to that later. So let's, let, let's leave that alone. But, but you'll, you'll know what it is when we get to it. Right after that, we find him following, but he is afar off. What is that? Eh, another negative. He's not doing too good. Next thing we see in Matthew chapter 26, he's around a fire. Whose fire is it? Enemy's fire. And here we go, another negative. He's not doing too good. Right after that, he denies the Lord while he's there by that fire. There's another, and not doing very good. But in the same chapter, when he sees Jesus, he remembered what Jesus had said. Ding, that's a good one. And the Bible records that he wept bitterly. Ding, another positive for this man. At the resurrection, in Mark chapter 16, the angel says something that I find fascinating. I don't know where to put it. Maybe it's neutral, maybe it's positive. I don't think it's negative. The angel says to those who have come to the tomb, says, tell the other disciples and Peter. You know, how are you going to make that out? Except to say, Peter's probably feeling like he's in another category right now. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, man, God, you've got to put me in another category. I'm not exactly apostolic material. I mean, I, I, 
I, I want to be. I want to be all that you want me to be. I want to do everything that you want me to do. But God, somehow or other, I find myself living up to less than what I know you've even put on my heart. I think Peter might have been feeling that way at this particular moment. And here we hear the angel saying, go, go tell the other disciples and, and Peter about this. Well, we're not through, though. In Luke chapter 5, when Peter is first, well, I don't know that it's the first introduction of Jesus, but it's certain to, with, with him and Jesus. It's, it's one of the early ones recorded in Scripture. Peter is mending his nets and cleaning them. Jesus is teaching. He asks Peter to do him a favor. He says, can I get in your boat and you kind of hold it steady out here while I talk to the people from the boat? I, they're just pressing so close. Peter, sure, fine. He gets in the boat and here he's holding it steady as he listens. He's now a captive audience to this man speak. And when it's through, Jesus says, now let's row out to deep water. And throw out your nets. Now, the fact that Peter did that, I have got to give the man a positive for that. Because this was what I would classify as a crazy command. When I read this, I think, you know what Peter said? He said, look, you're a preacher. I'm a fisherman. You preach. I'll fish. I've fished all night and have caught nothing. You think you know more about where fish are than I do? But then he says, Nevertheless, because you say so. Did you hear that? I'll do it. Where do we classify that? Being very positive. And he gets out and he throws out his nets, catches the biggest catch he's ever seen. Then he knows really who this man is, falls on his knees and says, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What would we call that? Very positive. He really knows who he is. That's sort of a prerequisite of being an apostle, isn't he? In Luke chapter 8, I love this. Peter, I think God exasperated at Jesus just as Jesus did at those fellows. As I've said to you, I sometimes think he chose them just so he'd have someone to say, O ye of little faith, to. <laughs> but here is Jesus. There's the press of the crowd around him. And he stops and he says, Somebody touched me. Who touched me? And Peter. Oh. The throng is thronging. The press is pressing. And you're asking, who touched you? Can you, can you sense? I mean, what would it cause the man to even say this except some exasperation at Jesus? So I'm, I'm going to have to say, bleh, for this particular one. Then not long after that, he gets to go in with Jesus specifically Peter, James, John, come with me. The rest of you stay out here. And he gets to see a young lady raised to life. That has got to be a bing, a plus here. Jesus sends uh, Peter and his brother to go and prepare for the Passover. Now, that's a nice responsibility. We're going to remember the most important thing that you've ever had a chance to remember. And I want you to be in charge of preparing for that so we can properly remember 
And Jesus sends Peter to do it. Now, administratively, I do not consider Peter what I would call a good administrator. And for Jesus to give him that kind of responsibility is a very high affirmation. It's, it's like having a pitcher in baseball be a pinch hitter. Normally, they bat zero. And you're saying, hey, I'm going to give you one more chance. The bases are loaded. It's the World Series. It's the last inning. We win this game, we're in. We lose, we're out. Go bat for us. Me? And Jesus is always giving those kinds of affirmations to those who follow Him. When Peter ran to the sepulcher to see what was to be an empty tomb, when he left there, the Bible lets us know in Luke chapter 24 that he left, and, and this fascinates me, wondering what this meant. Now, that fascinates me because Jesus had told him what it would mean. And still he leaves wondering, wonder what this means. <laughs> well, we're not through. John chapter 6, we find Jesus asked them when everybody else had abandoned him, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Ah, bing, that's a good one. We find in John chapter 13, they are around this table. We know it is the last supper table. Nobody's feet had been washed, and now Peter watches as Jesus gets up and begins to wash the other guy's feet. And then Jesus makes his way over to, toward Peter. And Peter says, oh, you will never, never. Where have we heard that word never before? You will never wash my feet. What would we say about that one? I love this guy. Jesus says to him, If I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And Peter caught on. He says, If that's true, then wash my head, my hands, everything. Bing. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're not through. When Jesus says... One of you will betray me. And they're all saying, Is it I? 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 <laughs> Peter signals to John. And he says, Ask him who it is. Now, I don't know where to put this one. I'll be honest with you. Is that positive or is that negative? It says to me, There's a little lack of discernment here because he, along with the rest of them, had no understanding that Judas was the one that would betray I'm amazed at that. How can you walk three years that close to someone and not have a clue? They managed. They managed. In John chapter 13, Peter senses this same exasperation with Jesus. You know, I think oftentimes they felt that, that if Jesus would just consult with them, they could improve his life. They could improve his outreach. They could give him some good ideas on how to develop some new systems and so forth. It would really win the world. And when Jesus begins to teach them, I hear the exasperation of Peter when he says, Where are you going? Why can't we follow? 
I will lay down my life for you. Did he? No, not then. Later. But not then. So here we got to go. Well, we're not through. There's a, a rather fascinating event recorded where we, we really know from pretty good conjecture that it was Peter and John. And I have this feeling that Peter and John had a real sense of competition with each other. That wherever little digs could be taken, they would be. And wherever John would let others know that, you know, I had this special place. I was, I was the one, I was a disciple Jesus loved. Uh, I was, I was his favorite, really. I was the one that leaned against his chest. You know, it was me. And when they hear the news from Mary that Jesus was missing from the grave, Peter and John race to the grave. And John lets us know, I want. And I'm thinking, what difference does it make? Who cares that you want? Except here's a guy who wants to record for eternity. (laughs) That I beat Peter. Okay, this lets us know that Peter was slow of foot, okay? Swift of mouth, slow of foot. He was probably short, fat, and bald. (laughs) So we're going to have to be honest and give him up for that one. John chapter 21, after the resurrection, we find Peter apparently saying, now I read into this, this, apparently saying in his heart, you know, this apostling is not what it's cracked up to be. I'm going back fishing. Blant. He had said, Lord, I've forsaken everything to follow you. I'm not going back to any of that. In the course of this, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? You ever, you ever feel like Jesus is asking you that question? Do you love me? And Peter has lost some of his braggadocio now. I think he does love Jesus in the agape sense that Jesus was asking. But now he's a much more humble and honest man at this moment. And he says what we would probably say, I, uh, I like you. I'm going to have to give him a positive for that. I think he really did love Jesus, but I think he had thought, what other claims have I made lately? <laughs> I tell you what, Jesus, I like you. I really like you. Going to have to give him a plus for some honesty there. Well, in Acts chapter 1, we find Peter, you know, the guy seems not to learn sometimes. We find Peter leading the group in picking another apostle to replace Judas. Who gave him that power and authority? Well, he never had to ask that question, he never had before. Well, look, it's to be done. Who better to do it than us? 
true. Jesus chose all the other apostles, but he's not here right now, and I am. And so they choose Matthias. Who is he? Never hear any more out of him. And we find Jesus later on choosing a guy named Paul. Well, we find Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Oh, but we're going to have to give Peter a man for that one, aren't we? In Acts chapter 2, beautiful moment. Peter stands with the eleven. What did it take to get to this moment that they could stand together for what I think was the first time? What did it take for these men to work through what had kept them apart from each other and all of the times that I'm confident these other guys thought, Peter, not again. I can even see them as he's getting out of the boat to go walk to Jesus on the water. They're saying, don't do it, Peter. We're not coming after you if you sink. I can even see them as Jesus has them around that fire in John chapter 21. They've been caught out fishing now by the great fishermen, and they really weren't supposed to do this. This was a career choice. Later on, I'll talk to you about that. I can see the guys as Jesus looks around the whole bunch. They're pointing at Peter. It was him. I didn't want to go. He's the one that said go. Man... But when he stands with the eleven, bing, here we are together with the Lord. Now, I want to take you to two rather fascinating passages of Scripture that probably more than any other thing illustrate what I want to say about some befores and afters in Peter's life. And kind of end it with a surprise, if we may. You go back to Matthew where... Peter is with Jesus. Jesus has asked them to come, Matthew chapter 26. It's the night of his agony. In verse 37 and on, it says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, it's James and John, and he began, this is Jesus, to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. In other words, I feel like I'm going to die. Stay here and pray with me, will you? Stay right here. I'm going to go a little further. You stay right here and pray with me. Watch with me. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them. Watching. Oh, no, that's not what they were doing. What, what is that word? Asleep. Yes. An apostolic prayer meeting. <laughs> and he said to Peter, What? Now, do you think that Jesus got exasperated with Peter? What? That's not... Well, of course, I knew this would probably be true. I'm such a... So many steps above you, man. I knew you would go to sleep. He says, what? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Hey, we're going to have to land on this. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Now, have you ever been awakened out of a deep sleep after an hour? How much good are you? <laughs> yeah, babe. <laughs> I can hear him, you know. Jesus wakes him up and says, What? Couldn't you watch with me an hour? 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 Oh, I was, well, I was actually praying, Jesus. I just had my eyes closed there for a few moments. It's, And then to hear Jesus say, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You know, it's over there. Oh, man, what temptation? I don't, there is no temptation around here. What are you talking about? <sighs> he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them. Asleep. Another apostolic prayer meeting. For their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, wake up! Oh, yeah, boy. Hey. The hour's at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. I can see the... How, how, do you, how are, are you after you've been asleep? Two hours. And someone wakes you up from a deep sleep. How much good are you? These men, <laughs> these men are in bad shape. Now, here's something I have discovered about myself. You're probably different, but... I've discovered that when I really kind of blow it, I try to make up for things. Uh, you forget your wife's birthday, you forget an anniversary, you forget something, and then you try to make up for it, don't you? I often tell ladies when their husbands have forgotten their birthday or an anniversary, and they say, what am I going to do? I don't think he loves me. I say, oh, he loves you. In fact, actually, you're much better off now if you'll just gently remind him uh, that he forgot. The gift you get now will be far more valuable. <laughs> but there's something about us, isn't there, when we know we have committed a great error, we try to do something to make up for it. I bet every one of you at some point or other have tried to bargain with God. Look, God, look, you know, if you'll get me out of this trouble, I promise you I'll do this, I'll go to church, I'll even sit through Irwin sermons, whatever you have to do. I'll do it! And I can see Peter thinking, oh, man, and I promised I'd pray. Mm. Ah. Where, is, where has he been? Look at the blood all over him, man. Oh, And I can see him scheming from that moment. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. And suddenly, in verse 51, we'll jump up. One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. wonder who it might be. <laughs> Struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, we know that two guys had swords. We know that. Because earlier on, you know, when Jesus said, buy a sword, say, well, here we got two swords. He says, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. And so we know two guys have swords. But 
It's not identified in Matthew. Now, this is something that is carried in all of the, of the Gospels. But here Jesus says to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He'll provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? So He says, hey, if you use the sword, you'll die by it. And don't worry. Don't worry. i got an army bigger than you. Well, in Luke 22, we hear another one. And I like this because each little step enlightens us a little. Verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, what do you think would be the next word? It should be Jesus' words, right? Saying, oh, no, 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 guys, don't do that. But there was no waiting for Jesus' advice or answer. Instead, the very next verse says, and one of them. I wonder who it was struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ears, ear and healed him. Now, you'll notice that uh, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke, they, they don't identify the guy. But now we come to John and we've got somebody... We've got somebody who is feeling a little competition with this guy, see? And we're going, to discover, <laughs> we're going to discover who he is now in John chapter 18. John 18, verse 10. Here we hear it. John says, I'm going to identify you. <laughs> then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. Now, I love this. He was armed probably a member of the National Sword Association. <laughs> His motto was register Romans, not swords or something like that. <laughs> swords don't kill people, people do. You know. <laughs> so he draws his sword now. <laughs> the irony of all of this, here is a fisherman thinking he's a soldier. And he draws his sword. Now, folks, if you're going to have an army, at least get someone with aim. And Peter, now we know who he is. Peter says, Shall we smite with a sword whap? What do you think? <laughs> Was it okay, Jesus? <laughs> You know, if I had been Jesus, I would have handled the whole thing differently. When Peter drew the sword, I would have sort of pointed at it. There would have been these cosmic waves that went over there, and Peter's arm would have gotten very big, man. And... But Peter did not do so. <laughs> Indeed, he did as I would have done. If you're going to stop an army, the thing to do is to get the guard, the captain of the guard. Get the general. Get the one who's in charge of it all. Then nobody knows what to do. Peter didn't do that. 
little chief priest servant. Come here, Malchus. Whap! And all he gets is an ear. I once heard a man at a conference I was attending decided decide that, that if you had a television set in your house, you were going to hell. And he spent an hour trying to prove it. Now, I happen to agree that there's some terrible stuff on television. And it's not always edifying. But having one is not a ticket to hell. It's just if you turn it on, that's okay. <laughs> I couldn't pass that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I listened to this chap, and when he finished, I said to someone, I said, you know, I get the feeling that God sent him out lion hunting, and all he came back with was rabbit ears. So here is Peter, and with the best of his physical ability, whap, he has an ear. And it even tells us that it was Malchus' right ear. Now, I want you to do something with me. I want you to put your hand on your right ear right now. Would you look at me? Hold it there. Okay. Now, I'm coming at you with a sword. Which ear would I cut off? The left one, right? So which direction do you have to be running? I have to hit you from behind. And I can hear Peter saying, I'll make up for it. I went to sleep. I know that. I should have been praying, but I wasn't. But I'll make up with it for it right now. Whap! Gotcha. <laughs> and here you see. The best example of our flesh. Boy, when I do it my way, there are ears on the ground. <laughs> I can remember once saying to the Lord, well, hey, I, uh, it's no problem to me. I don't have a sword. And he said, uh, yes, you do. Oh, where? I hear between your teeth. You care. I am. Uh... <laughs> called a tongue. That, oh, and then I realized, yeah, there are ears on the ground all over the world, man. <laughs> and this time Jesus says, put up your sword. I, I have to drink this cup that the Father's given me. I'm not going to let you rescue me, Peter. I've come for this. I'm going to do it. But here the best Peter could do was an ear. But now... Not too many days after that, just a few weeks, an event occurs that changes his swordsmanship rather tremendously. Once again, he picks up a sword. This time it was not in opposition to anyone, but it was with someone. Because as we read earlier in Acts chapter 2, he stood up with the eleven. And Peter indeed is armed this time. 
He is more heavily armed than he has ever been before because this time he stands and he draws the sword of the Lord. And where before he was going to do the best he could do in the physical, now he was going to give God a chance and see what would happen if he let the Holy Spirit do his work. So he stood And he began to preach to that crowd. Now, this is a wonderful sermon. I've read the sermon many times. You've read it. I've preached far better sermons than this. But I've never had the results. When he finished this simple, straightforward, before he was trying to defend Jesus and he got himself into trouble, now he's trying to proclaim him. You see, God doesn't need much defense, folks. We really don't need to defend the faith. God is not weak where we have to defend Him. But He says, I want you to proclaim me. I want you to preach the gospel. There's all the difference in the world. You've heard the statement that a good offense is the best defense. And Jesus is saying that. I don't need you to defend me. I want you to get out there and preach the word and let that take care of itself. And so Peter stands up and he doesn't draw a physical sword. He would have just a few weeks earlier. And he remembers that he did. And all he got then was an ear. What terrible aim. But this time, when he finishes preaching, Indeed, this sword had been empowered by God. You see, indeed, the Lord had sort of pointed at his arm and said, Zap! And now, what do we hear? Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Aha! And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Something had happened in this man's life. Now the Holy Spirit was in charge of him. Now he was wanting to wield the Word of God. Now he was wanting to proclaim Jesus. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about that. He will speak of Jesus. And when He is operating, when He is overflowing from us, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we don't understand what happens after that. You probably feel the same as you always felt. You just can't understand why things are happening different. It's because there's some power there now. Because we are witnesses of Jesus. You'll be my witnesses, he says. And so Peter stands up, and he doesn't defend them. He says, hey, we're not drunk as you suppose, but this is that. And he goes right into an incredible sermon in proclaiming Jesus. Wow. When that happens... Rather than defend him, whomp, right straight to the heart. I would rather wield that kind of sword that goes to the heart. And God wants us to. And it's available to us. All we have to do is ask that he empower us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And when you ask and believe, you receive. Overflow me, Father. Free me from the a sword of my tongue. Free me from the damage that I would do to other people. But put in my heart your word so that when I speak now, it'll only be not to defend you, but to proclaim you. And let your Holy Spirit do His work. Ah, I like the difference from the Peter before to the Peter afterward. 
I like this sword better because this is the sword that every one of us can wield very effectively. Well, you would think, you would think, and here is where my, my face smiles. I'll have to admit it to you. Here is a spot at which I think, hey, this, this is great. Only you could put this together, Lord. You come back to the life of Peter, and you discover now under the power of the Holy Spirit he's doing some marvelous things. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John look at this man at the gate, beautiful, and say, silver and gold, don't have any of that, but boy, we do have something, we'll give it to you. In the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And the man arises and he walks. I uh, heard someone say once that where Peter and John said, silver and gold have we none. We in the church can't say that anymore. Someone else says, yeah, and we can't say the other part either. Arise in the name of Jesus and walk. Hmm, different things corrupt us from time to time. Well, Peter and John, as they stand at that gate and say to this man, Arise, oh, in this man Peter's life, you've got to say, That's a bing, that is a plus. When he stands with the eleven and now uses the sword of the Lord, bing, that is definitely a plus. When he confronts the priests over their healing people and says, No, we have to do what God says, not what man says. Bing, boy, this guy is really getting there. Ananias and Sapphira, man, in Acts chapter 5... Talk about discernment. This is incredible discernment that he would be able to know that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, what happened was a little severe, but bing, you got to give him a plus here. In Acts chapter 8, they were sent to Samaria. With John, he was to deliver the Holy Spirit to a bunch of people that had been believers. Bing, that's got to be a plus. But... One thing I have discovered is that God in His mercy, even though He saves us and fills us with His Holy Spirit, He still is working with our flesh, isn't He? Do you ever wish you'd just gone ahead and become an angel after you were saved? Save you a lot of trouble. You look in the mirror every morning and see if anything's sprouting back there, wings or something. And, and you just struggle with the flesh. I've been walking with the Lord, it seems, all my life. I guess I was just a six, seven, eight-year-old boy when I said, I, I want to follow you, Lord. And I've never wanted to do anything other than that. I've embarrassed myself and the Lord, I think, a number of times. But in all of these years, one of the things that I have discovered is though I grow and I grow and I grow in the Lord, the fact that I do means there's something left yet to be conquered. There's more growth. to go. There's still areas. But the beautiful thing is He works with me. And just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you've reached perfection. It means that you get to grow some more. But hopefully you now understand what it means to proclaim and not defend. Well, what happens to Peter? Great discernment. Great discernment concerning Ananias and Sapphira. But what happens to him when Paul, Saul of Tarsus, now becomes Paul the apostle? And they hear about it and they say, they find out Paul's coming here. Zing! They're gone. 
they escape. What happened to their discernment? It wasn't resident, was it? It took leave of them. Does it ever happen to you? And you think, oh man, I thought I was close to the Lord, but look at this. Acts chapter 9. Dorcas is brought back to life as Peter prays for her. That's got to be a ping, a positive. His lack of discernment has to be a man. We see him on top of a roof praying. That's positive, isn't it? In Acts chapter 10, bing. A sheet comes down and God says, rise and eat. He says, no way. Blah. God, I'm a good boy. I don't eat things like that. God says, look, if I've called it clean, don't you dare call it unclean. Blah. But he rises and eats. Bing. Or the vision disappears. And then he gets to go and preach to the house of Cornelia. Peter is released from prison by an angel. As the church prayed. Bing. And he writes his great epistles. We have to give him. Bing. But if you look at his whole life, it's still mostly bad. But that's who God works with, folks. Please don't ever get discouraged. And even if you say, but I've experienced so many spiritual things. I, I have grown so much in the Lord. Why would I make such a idiotic mistake? Why would I be bad? God says, because I know that you're going to learn from that after you've cut off a few ears and maybe years. And just down the road, you're going to get it all over again. And you'll remember, i got confidence in you because I'm working with you. And you'll pick up the sword of the Lord. And it won't be ears on the ground, but it'll be hearts that are cut in two by the Word of God and people saying, what must I do then to follow Him? Bing! See, it's interesting, isn't it, that God's in charge of forgiving the blads. And I think that he shouts with joy at your bings. And I want to keep him shouting. And I pray to that end. But remember, he still works with you. He knows you. And he still works with you. And if you think, but I think I'm more negative than positive for the Lord. Eh. That doesn't bother him a whole lot because he knows where you're headed. Just keep your face turned toward him. Hide the sword in your heart so that what comes out won't put ears on the ground, but it'll put hearts in heaven. Aye. Peter before and after. <laughs> Gale before and after. You before and after. Ah, let's pray. Oh, Father, once again we're overwhelmed by how you love us. I'm so glad that you wrote this down in the Word in a way that we can comprehend it, Lord, and we can look at the people you chose and then understand maybe why you chose us. And we look at how you worked with them and how patient you were with them and, and, and see that maybe, maybe you're patient with us too. And Lord, sometimes we need to remember and weep bitterly. And other times we need to act boldly. 
But whatever, Lord, let us act out of your spirit so that it is hearts that are pierced by your word and not ears by my swords. Keep working with us, whatever you do. Don't give up. And we will keep our face and our hearts turned toward you. We want to be like you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.